Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Well, here we are, a little bit of a different uh, format for you as we do this edition of the Rit Race. Welcome in. It's our live stream experiment. And uh, if you are watching, you have found us uh, on my Facebook page. And we'll endeavor to put this up on uh, the YouTube channels uh, as this goes on. But um, we just thought we want to add another dimension to it. What we're hoping to do is to be able to uh, add this element to it maybe on debate night and certainly on uh, election night. And I think as we get into uh, the uh, the maw of this campaign, there will be more to say. But certainly if we can gather around the table uh, a number of the uh, the pundits that we're going to bring to this uh, gathering uh, on the writ race and uh, be able to say, yes, indeed, we want to uh, hear from other voices. We're going to do that. Uh, up until now, it's been uh, John Wright and myself. And as I said, John, we'll be uh, tomorrow. We're going to bring in uh, a, a Brett James, and he is from um, Sussex Strategy. And later in the week, Bob Richardson is going to join us. And so we've got some of the uh, the bigger brains that bring a, an important insight, I think, into uh, campaigns themselves. These folks have not only worked on them, they advise on some of them, and they have that kind of arm's length. Uh, view of where campaigns are going and perhaps can kind of give us the canary in the mind view sometimes when we really need it. Yeah, it's great to have them on board and to um, be able to give perspectives in a kind of nonpartisan way. I mean, some of them have been working for parties for years before and are now consultants, but it's nice to get that sort of sense of what's going on inside a campaign that you wouldn't normally have. You know, we would normally be on the outside just commentating, but to get those folks will be a great treat to have. Yeah. So we'll uh, be able to do that. And again, this is something uh, of an experiment. So um, be, be patient with us. We're um, trying, to <laughs> trying to cover as many of the platforms uh, as we possibly can, but thought that this was an important, uh, important part of that conversation. All right. So on the weekend, I uh, did a couple of special um, editions of the Rit Race, just the audio version, I say just, but that's where you're finding the podcast. And John, a couple of the things that sort of surfaced over the weekend that I want your take on. Uh, first was a, a, an unintended connection between conversations I had with Tony Chapman. And you'll know Tony as the uh, host of Chatter That Matters, his mm -hmm. own podcast. Mm -hmm. 
And Tony's one of those guys for me that always kind of comes to the, the second thing that comes to mind. He's, he's that kind of deep thought, but it's very eye level. And at the same time, I had a discussion with David Scott and David is the CEO and the editor in chief at the logic. And they both kind of came to this point where they were talking about how an election isn't necessarily just about winning and losing. It says as much, maybe more about the electorate when we all things are settled and all things are done. What kind of country are we voting for as opposed to which party are we voting for? And I thought it was an important thing. You know, we've still got a month to go here. And I realize the old adage is elections aren't the time to be talking about important things like issues. But there seems to be a grasp for that right now. And maybe it's because, as you pointed out in the last week, the Liberal Party, specifically the Prime Minister, has not defined a reason for this election. So there are uh, several reasons for this election. And maybe people are exploring issues in a bigger way than they might have otherwise done so in the past. Well, let me respond a couple of ways. I'm not exactly sure how the country can vote on the kind of vision they want for a country when, in fact, we govern by fractions. So 38% of people are going to elect a federal government, not 100%. So you're going to get different parts of the country voting for different reasons, you know, in, in terms of why we're heading where we are. The campaigns may break into different elements. I mean, the ballot question for the country may be a different ballot question in Quebec. So even that takes part of the fraction and changes it around. But I think you're right. And and the other two are right too, in the sense that when when we go to, to uh, the polls, we're trying to vote for something as opposed to about some nebulous concept. Um, we noticed the first week that the term affordability from all of the polling that we were doing and that we saw the cost of living and affordability is the top of the list. And that was before the campaign started too. So for Jagmeet Singh and for Aaron O'Toole, affordability has been a center point of what they've been talking about since day one. The fact that the prime minister was not talking about that until at least Friday when he was, his backdrop was a grocery store caught him behind the eight ball. And, he wasn't talking to the issue, which if you want to find a common one, it's about pocketbook issues. He wasn't talking about that in a very specific way. As a result of that, Dave, what we've seen over the last month, the last 30 days, is the liberals in this country go from what effectively was a 10-point lead down to about a one-point lead. Um, and you're seeing it shrink in different parts of the country, but the the conservatives and the liberals are now almost neck and neck. But the NDP are making gains as well in British Columbia, and they are likely to be making gains in certain parts of Toronto at some point too. So the first week was the country is, you know, looking at other things in their lives. I mean, there's lots of heat and sunshine and summer and getting out on patios and things like that. They don't want to be, you know, uh, bothered with an election campaign. But it's very clear that for those people who were thinking about it, it's it's had an impact. There's something going on. And secondly, while we may not be, I would posit this, while we may not be looking at the country as a whole and more parochially in terms of how we want to vote for something, there's a mood out there that does stretch across the country. And I think that's the thing that I'm going to be more concerned about as we move forward, that this may be more of a visceral, emotional element that people start seeing the lens through than actually some kind of 
graduate, you know, study on monetary policy. No one wants mm -hmm. to hear about that stuff, mm -hmm. but the, what they do want to hear about are something that right now it affects their pocketbooks and they want, they want the prime minister to connect with them and he's not at the moment or hasn't to this point. So a, a couple of things that I want to sort of tie up a loose end on then when we talked about the, uh, the first week, and I think you and I maybe were saying on day two, if not, you know, day three, at the latest, it was not a good week for the prime minister. That general consensus was shared, I think, by, you know, the weekend where mm -hmm. most uh, people were analyzing like and say, what wasn't very good. And you, you've, you know, you noted the polling and I saw Nick Nanos over the weekend, some of the polling from Ecos, we're seeing that tightening. Now, there was a couple of conversations I heard earlier today saying, yeah, well, you know, early on Trudeau didn't have a great start in the 2015 campaign. That may be true, but, you know, have you seen it where an incumbent is leading by 12 points, calls the election, and then all of a sudden it shrinks down to next to nothing and has a lousy first week? Um, that's a different dynamic, isn't it? Yeah, I haven't seen that before. I, I, I've seen campaigns where the government has started out um, with the numbers that it needs and that by about the third or the fourth week, it's changed. Um, and that's the 2015 campaign right there in a nutshell. But I've never seen a government go from a 10 point lead to calling an election with about a five point lead to at the end of the week, have a one point lead. I've never seen that before. And what it prompted on their campaign was to go negative immediately um, by Saturday and Sunday. Well, he kind of took Saturday off, but Sunday they were back at it and they were throwing the healthcare issue in the Tories face. Now, clearly there was a lot of controversy around it in the Twitter sphere and, you know, the pundit sphere, I'm not sure how much the public saw, but they, you know, the liberals edited out a statement um, from a video that, that Aaron O'Toole had made. And it turned out that people saw that it had been manipulated and so did Twitter and they labeled it such that took away, you know, from a lot of the focus that could have been on the Sunday night and the next day, but I'm not even sure that Aaron O'Toole answered the questions the next day when he got, got it put to him in, in the, in a proper planned expected way. But nonetheless, it, it, it's another day where the prime minister is thrown off. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, you're not dealing with what you hoped you would be dealing with and you're trying to clean up. And um, while he doubled down on it, right? Like he, yep. he, oh, yeah. he basically, Oh, well, you know, that's what it is. It, it, it sets a mood um, of, of defensiveness as opposed to moving forward in a confident way. And I think that's really been the story of the liberals so far. Well, you know, you you talk about that the 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 noise and the storm in the Twitter sphere. Um, I know that your research says that there are very few people who actually get their news from Twitter, and I'll I'll, I'll admit that. But the people who do, mm -hmm. are people like you and me, mm -hmm. and, and the people who are going to comment on this and frame the issue and frame the situation. So as I was listening to all the pundits this morning say, "Well, you know, it's early, and it's only Twitter, and most of the people have made up their mind," what it has done. It has lit an artificially large fire uh, in the in the dumpster that is the liberal campaign so far. Two points on that. Number one is you're absolutely correct. The people who are on Twitter are the people who are shaping the narrative coming out the other end. So they're the journalists and the pundits and the people that you know are filtering everything that's going on in the campaign. And frankly, if nobody was listening, then the prime minister wouldn't be responding the way he is because if nobody's listening, nobody cares. I mean, all right, there you go. Mm -hmm. But people are listening. They are because otherwise you wouldn't have a movement of 10 points inside of 
30 days and you wouldn't have a movement down five points inside of a week. So it's clear that something's going on out there, that certain people are connecting with it. And it's people who would have given the support to the, the prime minister at the outset. So there are people listening. There is a filter being applied to the campaign based on what is going on and what we're seeing in the Twitter sphere and in other places. And I think one again has to come back to, you know, the assessment of the first week, you have to give, you know, a plus two and a plus two to the conservatives in the NDP and a minus four to the liberals. And I, I give a, an absolute zero to the green party because I, I don't know where they are at the moment, even today when they're talking about when, when the leaders talking about things that have nothing to do with the environment. And we can talk about that in Elizabeth may popping up over the weekend with her own video on the environment. It's all rather strange, but the issue though, is that I think the liberals hoped that they would turn the page and start fresh on the Sunday, but they weren't able to because of the charge of a manipulative video. Yeah. And then they're still on it on Monday. So, you know, that's another two days out of, you know, the, the week and a bit of a campaign where they're playing defense and they're, they're talking about not the things they necessarily want to talk about, but on their own situation. And that's, uh, that's not a good strategy to have. So when asked about it today, the prime minister's answer to that question about, and the question was specifically about the mm -hmm. manipulated video. Mm -hmm. He said, what's really important here is that mm -hmm. in the middle of a pandemic, Aaron O'Toole came out unequivocally in support of private health care in terms of for-profit health care. We posted the entire interview in its entirety, and I encourage all Canadians to take a look and see what Aaron O'Toole has to say about what he sees as the future of health care. Well, I, you know what? I guess I listened to him right off the bat. I'm thinking... He just laid another rake out in front of himself there uh, because he's done two things. First, he's invited uh, people to get out and take a look at uh, what is, you know, essentially uh, this scary video that um, O'Toole apparently has made these statements in. And so I, th I think just for the sake of this, it's going to take about two minutes, but I think we should actually listen to it in context and hear what the question was and hear how he answered it. And then the prime minister's thought, and then, you know, we can kind of close on that because I think the nuance in the messaging and the, and the communications now, John, you will know as well as anybody is going to be really important in how this stuff gets handled. So let's just give it a listen here and see what happens. And there you go. Canada's healthcare spending is, as you know, among some of the highest uh, in the world. Despite that, wait times have not been reduced. Uh, and in turn, more Canadians are venturing out of the country to access healthcare services. Uh, a 2017 study shows that Canadians made 217,000 trips outside of Canada to access healthcare. That's the equivalent of 600 treatments a day. Not even communist China prohibits citizens a choice <laughs> when it comes to the provision of healthcare services for ourselves or our loved ones. Would you be prepared to allow provinces to experiment with real healthcare reform, including the provision of private, for-profit, and non-profit healthcare options inside of universal coverage? Yes. Now I'll elaborate right. a little bit more. <laughs> I refer to my previous leadership quite regularly. Our team now calls that the warm-up because we're going to win this one. But I also ran on this principle, Kate, because if we're expecting innovation and more choice and better performance, we can't have just one old model that is increasingly becoming inefficient because of the amazing new drugs that are dragging 
some of the funds into other areas in our healthcare system, especially biologics, which the Trudeau government also messed up in terms of the, the NAFTA negotiations. If we want to see that innovation, we have to find public-private uh, synergies and make sure that universal access remains paramount. And I actually praised what Brad Wall did with respect to diagnostic imaging because he's actually making sure that wait times for everyone go down as a result of the, uh, of the investment by the private sector to make sure there are more diagnostic imaging machines. I thought that was a brilliant move to show the public at large. There's going to be an overall benefit because everyone's wait times will go down, but people will be able to access services and that capital will come in to, to, to drive efficiencies, drive innovation. In fact, there was a decision in Quebec, the Cheruli decision, that says it's a right for Canadians. Now, because it was a civil code, not everyone applies it across the country. It is certainly, if the same issue came to the Supreme Court, there's no way they could say the state can prevent people, as you said, the, the communist China example. So let's try and do it in a way that's fair, measured, and keep the public with us. I've run on this for several years now, and I do think in the 905 My Region, people are open to it, provided we don't let the Liberals define us. We have to some, have someone that can defend these principles and these ideas. The idea there, you know, John, I think typically is where we get to a point where, um, to his point, one party is defining the other. I thought he did a pretty good job at laying out the possibilities here and being able to say this was something that we need to consider, that there are examples and best practices out there that we should be looking at. Because quite frankly, uh, it, it, the system, and you have talked about this often in terms of the demographics that we're going to see, it's not going to be sustainable. Well, that may be true, but I think there are lots of examples across this country where liberal provincial governments, particularly in the province of Ontario, said, we need to do lots of knee operations. We need to do, you know, a whole bunch of others. We need to dedicate space to it. And they actually had people from the outside who were coming in to do, you know, all of those extra pieces to, to deal with the backlog. I think it's, um, you know, I, I think it's, critical over the next number of years to believe that there are going to be more effective and efficient ways to deliver health care. But I think the critical thing was is to simply embrace the Canada Health Act and say, you know, the principles are in place and that we are all going to recognize it across this country and that we are going to live by that. But the effectiveness and efficiency of the healthcare system is going to have to adapt to a growing and aging population. And we're going to invite all kinds of different people to bring their ideas to the table. I don't know how else you can answer something, you know, unless you're doing it in that way, unless you're kind of saying that, you know, the door has been opened by governments of similar stripe to what the prime minister is. So he can't attack me. It's not all about the private sector, but it, what it is about is innovation and, and efficiencies. And, you know, depending upon what province you go, you're getting more of that almost every year. So I, I thought he was okay in how he answered it, but I think the key at this point is to deflect off of, as they've done in the early days of the campaign, deflect off of this and move on. Clearly the prime minister doesn't want to, and he's going to deliver, you know, the big lie, if you want to call it that, because um, he's he's going to double down on what he said. But I, I actually think, Dave, that there comes a point in some of these campaigns where answering it 
is is a little bit like what Ronald Reagan used to do during his campaign, um, one of his last campaigns. And remember when they kept mocking him with certain things, he would turn and say, "Well, there you go again." I mean, it's it's it was kind of uh, a funny thing at the time, but it was almost mocking back, saying, "You know, you guys are doing the same thing you do all the time. You're taking things out of context, yada yada yada." Folks, what the real issue here is, and then moving on to your own circumstance where you've got a, a clearer track. But I think the liberals are going to try this for the next couple of days. I'm not sure how much traction it's going to have. Like, I, I don't, I no, don't I know whether anybody cares or anybody's, you know, if they say that nobody's listening to this, well, then they're trying to punch back on something that people may not be listening to. Do you know what I mean? Like it's well, and I think here's the problem. This when you do invite people to listen and prime minister was so, uh, you know, specific in terms of what he how he framed what uh, Aaron O'Toole was saying. The prime minister was just wrong. Correct. Aaron O'Toole never talked about for-profit health care at the expense of public health care. He never said that. He talked about, you know, making sure that we've got capacity in the system and where we have private uh, enterprise involved. That's a different thing. I mean, Shouldice Clinic here in Toronto is Correct. a great example of that. Period. Stop. Yeah, it, it's true, um, but I don't I don't think Aaron O'Toole wants to embrace this debate. I mean, I think he's got to fire back on another topic and get off of where they are. I mean, that's mm -hmm. what, what you do. We found that the prime minister as well went after um, the Tories on the Sunday talking about the fact that Aaron O'Toole would, would not back making sure that people were safe when they go on to trains and planes and all that sort of stuff. I mean, of course, not even the prime minister can mandate that people on passenger trains, right. you know, have to be screened. So, I mean, we're into a lot of rhetoric and we're into a lot of, of politicking at the moment. I think the critical thing though, is number one, we're really early on in this campaign and the prime minister may do fine in the, you know, in the weeks to come, but they shouldn't be where they are today. They just shouldn't be. Number two, um, there are going to be different issues that define every week of this campaign, and it looks like at the moment that the prime minister's party can't define the issue. Like they can't, they're not able to keep up with it. One, one day it's this one day it's other, it's just not having traction and they're very defensive. The third point though, is that the conservatives in the NDP are going to stay on their messages. They're going to continue on to connect with the voters that they think are going to switch over to where they are. And while it may be early on in these days, the public opinion polls measuring the vote are showing that it is having effect. So prime minister is behind the eight ball at the moment. He's going to have to figure something out in order to make it stick. And it's not sticking at the moment. All right. Well, uh, let's leave it there. Uh, join us tomorrow. We would encourage you to do so. Uh, Brett James from uh, Sussex Strategy will be there. Maybe we'll put that to him just to see. Okay. If you were advising the, advising the, uh, the liberal campaign or any of the campaigns for that matter. Uh, as we head into this week, we'll uh, see what uh, Brett has to say to him. So you can join us wherever you normally get your podcasts. And uh, that will be Apple, Google, right here on YouTube, Facebook, et cetera. So wherever you need to find us, leave a comment, leave a rating, and uh, be sure if you like it, subscribe and uh, share what you hear. It'd be pretty good. Thanks for joining us. It's The Rit Race. I'm Dave Trafford, and this is an Eye Contact Podcast.